when I asked the team about like what would bless you guys to talk about today, uh, they asked that I speak on mission. And so we're going to look at one of the things in mission that perhaps are our greatest challenge, or at least for me, it's my greatest challenge. Uh, the way, well, I'm going to explain it as I go. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read uh, this passage and then I'm going to pray for us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 6, and then submit our time to the Lord. This is the Word of God to us this morning, church. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Would you join with me in praying? Lord God, we want to pause this morning as your people together. And we want to thank you for this precious gift. Your word. Lord, thank you that you're a God who loves to speak to us. And this morning as we approach this word, we're mindful that any distraction, any disinterest, any coolness of heart comes not from you, but from us. And so we pray, Lord God, Holy Spirit, come, soften our hearts that we might hear from you and grow in our faithfulness to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Friends, there is possibly no greater barrier to sharing the gospel with others than the fear of man. You're sitting on the train on your way to work. You start getting out your Bible, but you put it away again in case anyone sees. You're asked to pray before dinner at the restaurant, you wait to see if the waitress is gone. 
and you look around just to double check to make sure you don't know anyone. And you make that prayer as quick as you possibly can. You're asked about your church. How many people go there? How many services do you have? And you exaggerate about the numbers to make it sound more impressive. Your pastor explains a new initiative to share Jesus with your neighbors and ask you to participate. And immediately, your heart begins to race, your palms begin to sweat, and you begin spinning excuses in your mind about why you can't participate. Well, what do all of these illustrations have in common? Well, two things. They're all examples of the fear of man. But secondly, they're all examples of struggles I've personally had as well. The truth is, the fear of man is not only one of the most common issues facing the church, it's one of the greatest obstacles we face to being obedient to the call of Jesus upon our lives. You know, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you'll know that Jesus calls us to be on mission. It's not an optional aspect of following him. Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He says it to everyone. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord Jesus, when he returns uh, from or is raised from the dead, speaks to his disciples before he uh, ascends on high to heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's the question. If Jesus is calling us to be on mission, to share his message with anyone and everyone, why do we find it so hard to do? And one of the major reasons is the fear of man. Uh, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, I've entitled this message, Mission and the Fear of Man. And I got two really halves to this message. The first uh, what is entitled, uh, The Origin of the Fear of Man. And we're just really going to unpack, you know, where does this fear of man come from? What is fear of man all about? And the second half, don't think I've abandoned uh, the, the text we read from. I really want to base on that. But we're going to get to that in the second half of this message. We're going to be looking at how do we actually grow in the fear of the Lord in our second point uh, together. But really, for us together, in our time together, I've got one hope for us this morning as a local church, and that is this, that embracing the fear of the Lord, we would be faithful together on mission. That's where we're going together. We're going to where our heart, where I'm going with this message, where I believe the Lord is going to be leading us this morning, is that we would embrace the fear of the Lord and together be faithful on mission. So let's dive into that point number one, the origin of the fear of man. Uh, a good place to start might be actually defining the fear of man and what actually is it? You might be new to this whole concept of the fear of man. Put simply, uh, the fear of man is an excessive or sinful concern about what others think about us. An excessive or sinful concern about what others think about us. Uh, Ed Welch, in his excellent book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, describes it this way. 
He says it's an inordinate desire for human approval or an intense fear of being rejected. It's when we want too much for people to approve of us and when, or when we fear that people might reject us. Ken Sandy, uh, in his excellent book, The Peacemaker, puts, uh, describes it this way. He says this can take many forms. Sometimes it involves an actual fear of what others can do to us, but it is most commonly seen as an excessive concern about what others think about us. This can lead to preoccupation with acceptance, approval, popularity, personal comparisons, self-image, or pleasing others. This idol can make us reluctant to confront serious sin. The constant desire for approval and acceptance can cause us to gossip or prevent us from speaking out on moral issues. And I would add to that list, it can also prevent us from sharing the gospel with our friends and family members. Ken Sandy describes it can be a fear of what people might do to us, but it usually actually manifests itself in an excessive concern about what others, not what they can do, but what they think about us. It's an idol of self. We treat what others think about us like a god. And so for the sake of them thinking well of us, we sacrifice for it. We worship for the sake of it. We obey others for the sake of their approval. You know, it's been described, the fear of man has been described as like having a handle on your back that people can grab and turn you in any direction they please. You know, the question I want us to consider in this first point is really this, though. Where does the fear of man come from? What drives it? What causes it? And I think in terms of what the Bible teaches on this, I think there are two actually related reasons or origins of the fear of man. Number one, the fear of man comes from a trust in man and not in God. You know, Jeremiah in his book uh, in chapter 17 puts it this way. He says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall, see not sh- shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You know, fundamental to the fear of man, according to Jeremiah, is a deep trust in people at the expense of trusting in God. Jeremiah explains that living this way is a cursed way to live. Nothing good will come from it at all, says Jeremiah. And it rings true. It rings true for those of us or for people that, that really trust in what others think. People that uh, trust in self-image or reputation quickly find that it's a lousy God. It bears bad fruit, the fruit of anxiety and fear and overcommitment and exhaustion. You know, personally, many people in the past used to be surprised to learn that I struggle with the fear of man. 
And the reason is I kind of had this reputation of being quite intense and kind of bowling people over with my quite strong opinions and thoughts. And they think, Brendan doesn't really struggle with the fear of man. I mean, not after listening to the things he says. But what people didn't realize is that there was actually a root heart issue behind that. The reason why I would bowl people over with my strong opinions and thoughts and not listen to them is that I often prepared in advance what I was going to say to people because I was afraid that I might not know what to say. And so I'd rehearse, you know, different conversations and where it might go and have a pre-prepared spiel that I'd just then vomit on people, all driven by the fear of man, not being willing to listen because I didn't trust that God could give me the answers of what to say. You know, Jeremiah quotes Psalm 1 to show us that what the person who trusts in the Lord is like. He's like a big oak tree that's unmoved with this quiet peace and trust and good fruit, regardless of the season that he's in. Um, It's like the one who meditates on scriptures and who loves when God tells him what to do from Psalm 1. That's what it's like to be a person who fears the Lord. You know, we see this lack of trust also play out in evangelism. Rather than trusting in the gospel message's power, we start telling ourselves things that sound a little bit like this. My friends will not be interested. My friends and family members have heard it all before. They will dismiss me out of hand. And we start to believe and start to think that we have to take on the role of the Holy Spirit, that we have to bring conviction of sin. And because we believe that that will not in and of our own strength be possible, we remain silent. You see, the fear of man comes from a trust in people and not in God. That's origin number one. But similar to that, not just origin number one, it comes from a trust in man and not in God. The fear of man comes from a self-obsession. You see, the fear of man is more than just a trust in others apart from God. It actually reveals a deep trust and love of self. You know, when Jesus was asked about what God requires of us, he said the following in Matthew 22. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, our hearts and our minds, our very beings, are meant to be focused on loving God, and secondly, on loving others. And you know, the message of the gospel is that He is so glorious and loving that He sent His very own son, and therefore to think on God is the most glorious, the most loving, the most majestic, most powerful, most gracious being in the universe, and therefore to be thinking on him is the greatest of all privileges. To serve him is the greatest privilege that could be placed upon a person, because he's the maker of everything, and he knows you, and he loves you, and he's called you, he wants to be friends with you. Our great calling and privilege as Christians is to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the fear of man comes from taking our gaze off the Lord Jesus and onto ourselves. Instead of loving God the most and our neighbors next, self-love becomes first. You know, Jesus even warns that the fear of man is an obstacle for people coming to know him. In Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 8, verse 35, the Lord Jesus says this. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Listen to this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, whether you're sitting here and you've been following Jesus for 40 years or you're not even yet a follower of Jesus, the deep sense that we have that all people are worthy of dignity and respect comes from the fact that we were made by God. We're not the good people our culture says we are. We know that. We don't live up to our own values. We're self-obsessed. We're turned in on ourselves. And the result is that we become ashamed of His words. We have spurned the Holy One. And we are, by definition, as a result, a wicked people. And God is just and He must punish all wickedness and He's decreed judgment in hell for all of mankind. And yet out of His love for the people He has made, He sent the Lord Jesus Christ that simply by repentance and faith in Jesus we could be reconciled to Him. It's such a beautiful message, that message of the Bible. Here's the question, here's the difficult question question I want us together this morning to consider. What does it say about us when we withhold the truth of the gospel out of the fear of creating an awkward situation? Out of the fear of being labeled that guy. You know, I love this uh, next quote. It comes from the atheist and famous magician, Penn Gillette, from the duo Penn and Teller. And Penn, Penn Gillette, speaking about Christians who don't share the gospel, says the following. Penn Gillette says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. It's so, it's so clear in his thinking, isn't it? It's such a convicting quote. What does it say about us when out of fear of being awkward, we refuse to share with others the best message of all about Jesus? Here's a tough question. Can we honestly say that we love our neighbors if we care more about being seen as a nice guy than we do about their eternal plight apart from Christ? You know, when others and what they think of us become more important to us than the eternal plight of our neighbors, it shows that our priorities have become really messed up. 
It reveals that we have become self-obsessed. Mark Dever puts it this way. He says, we're called to love others. We share the gospel because we love people. And we don't share the gospel because we don't love people. Instead, we wrongly fear them. We don't want to cause awkwardness. We want their respect. And after all, we figure if we try and share the gospel with them, we'll look foolish. And so we're quiet. Listen to this. We protect our pride at the cost of their souls. In the name of not wanting to look weird, we are content to be complicit in their being lost. As one friend said, I don't want to be the stereotypical Christian on the plane. We protect our pride at the cost of their souls. That's so true. And that, my friends, is the origin of the fear of man. It comes from a trust in man and not in God. And it comes from self-obsession rather than a genuine love for God and for our neighbors. We don't want to just end this message kind of there. That's kind of depressing, you know, to leave it there with the, the, the fear of man. We want to grow together. We all struggle with this. Come on, let's be real. We want to grow in the fear of the Lord together. And so that's point number two. And, and that's what we want to do now is to come and return to our passage. Um, and what we're going to find in our passage is there's great, great hope for change, great hope and opportunity to grow in faithfulness to God, to grow in the fear, not of man, but of the Lord. Our passage today in the fear of the Lord. Paul, for us in this passage, really highlights for us two roots of the fear of the Lord and then two, three fruits of the fear of the Lord that we can see in his ministry. So let's dive in and have a look. But before we open up our passage, just a quick question you might be sitting there and thinking, particularly if you're new to studying the Bible, what is actually the fear of the Lord? Uh, Mark Dever, again, is so helpful on this. He says, when we don't share the gospel, we are essentially refusing to live in the fear of the Lord. We are not regarding Him or His will as the final and ultimate will of our actions. To fear the Lord is to love Him. When the one who is all, our all-powerful Creator and Judge is also our merciful Redeemer and Savior, then we have found the, the perfect object for the entire devotion of our heart. And that devotion will lead us to share this good news about Him with others. We should pray that God would grow us a greater love and fear of Him. You know, the fear of the Lord, it's not like me watching a scary movie. I'm so soft. I get really scared and I end up like Charlotte's smiling at the back. I end up like hiding behind her because I can't watch it anymore. Um, it's to have the deepest of reverence and love for Him instead. It's to be concerned most for His approval, not what others think about us. And in order to unpack how we can grow in the fear of the Lord, that's where we turn to our passage. So why don't you read with me verse 11 of chapter 5. Um, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Paul's mission was empowered by the fear of the Lord. But notice he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. What has come before this verse is, in fact, a description of how Paul sought to live in the fear of the Lord. And in fact, as I mentioned, we see two root principles that drive Paul's fear of the Lord. And the first is this, that Paul's fear of the Lord came from his focus on the resurrection to come. Keep reading with me from verse 6. Paul says this, So we're always of good courage. 
We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know, Paul's been talking about God's plan to replace our broken bodies with something far more glorious. Um, He's going to replace the tent that we live in with a, a building is the sort of image that he's using. And because of the coming resurrection, we can always have this good courage, this confidence. But notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say we were never afraid. You know, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. No, Paul was frequently afraid. Courage is not the absence of fear. That's not what courage is. Courage is faithfulness in the midst of fear. Speaking about his courage uh, from the resurrection, he goes on. Read the following with me, uh, again from our passage. He says this. He says, we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are always of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says, while we're alive, we're separated from the Lord. We're not like the Israelites with that cloud and the pillar that they could physically see. We live by faith. His desire is to be away from the body. Paul is saying, my desire is to die and to be at home with the Lord, to live in His presence. You see, Paul had this deep focus on the resurrection life to come. And this powered his fear of the Lord. Here's a tough question for us this morning, church. How about for you? Is your deepest desire to leave this life and be with Christ? Can we be honest for a second? I think if we're honest, most of us would probably answer no. Now, there are things, quite frankly, we'd like to get here and done first. I mean, maybe it's to get married or to own a home or to travel around the country or have kids or watch them grow up. And if the Lord was to call us home today, probably be a little bit disappointed. You know, it shows, if that's the case, that we don't properly understand what awaits us with Christ. Death is not the end of life, it's the gateway into the fullness of it. You know, no one who's squatting in a tent knocks back the gift of a palace. And that is the picture of the life to come with Christ that Paul wants us to see this morning. You know, if our eyes and our hearts are captivated with the things of this world, we'll never have the, the, the courage to be faithful on mission. It's too easy to lose things in this life. It's too easy to lose your health. It's too easy to lose your wealth. It's too easy to lose respect and to leave you feeling afraid. You know, would we have Paul's fear of the Lord? Would we have his faithfulness on mission? We need his laser-sharp focus on the resurrection that is to come. Not just Paul's focus on the resurrection to come, The second root of Paul's fear of the Lord is that Paul's fear of the Lord came from his focus on God's final judgment as well. And we read this in verses 9 and 10. Paul says this, he says, So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You know, friends, the God of our culture is a very small God. God of our culture is a defanged God. He's all cuddles, and He has no bite. 
And if there is a God in our culture, that God must exist to serve us, serve our rights, give us what we want, make us happy. God is probably most akin to our divine assistant. If he exists, he exists as our servant to make us happy and to give us the things we want. And since God is our assistant, we place ourselves above him. And this whole concept of judgment, a God that judges us, is so offensive. The God of our culture, you see, is nearly impossible to fear. And yet the God of the Bible is completely different. The God of the Bible is all-powerful, all-glorious, all-wise, all-knowing, and He is to be revered. He is the maker of everything in the universe. He's the source of all that's good. No one has any rights when they stand before Him. No more than a piece of clay does before a potter. No more rights than a canvas has before a painter. See, the universe owes its all to Him, and He is indebted to no one. And so Paul says, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We long to be with God, says Paul. We we live to please Him, whether we live or die, because we have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, the judgment seat, that word, it refers to a raised platform with a seat that a magistrate or a judge would sit upon and deliberate on cases. And the Bible teaches that at the very end of the age, every person will stand before Christ and receive judgment. And the judgment we will receive from Christ will be based on our works in this life. Our words, our thoughts, and our deeds. And in this judgment, we will receive repayment for what we have done in this life, whether good or lacking. And if you have not placed your trust in Christ, a guilty verdict will be delivered over your life. And you will be punished for every failing. But if you trust in Christ, His life of perfect obedience on your behalf will become yours. However, you will still be judged for how you have served, but that judgment will be for the purpose of rewards. Paul Barnett, in his commentary, says this, The sure prospect of judgment, the judgment seat, reminds the Corinthians and all believers that while they are righteous in Christ by faith alone, the faith that justifies is to be expressed by love and obedience and by pleasing the Lord. Now, so often as Christians, it's easy to think because of grace, how we serve the Lord in this life is of little consequence. Paul wants you to see that's wrong. One day, we'll stand before the risen Lord and receive our due for how we've served Him in this life. And that means for those who have placed their trust in Him, rich reward from a generous King for every act to glorify Him. Would we have Paul's fear of the Lord? We need to have his focus on the resurrection to come and God's final judgment. You see, friends, Paul doesn't just provide us with these two roots of his fear of the Lord. He also shows us how it has overflowed into his life on mission with three different fruits. And these fruits of the fear of the Lord are not just evidences of its presence, but also means of grace to help us grow more in the fear of the Lord. And the first fruit we see is simply that Paul persuaded others to follow Christ. Read with me verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... Paul says, we persuade others. Notice how Paul doesn't say that here that he simply tells people about Jesus. It's something different that he says. He persuades them. 
You see, persuade is to try and change someone's opinion. It's to convince them of the truth. Now, in chapter 4, Paul has said that we refuse to deceive or use sneaky techniques to kind of, you know, convince people like when they smoke, you know, smoke, what do you call it, smoke machines and, you know, strobe lights or something like that. He's like, we don't do any of that stuff. (laughs) Nevertheless, he's out to convince people to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's a question for us this morning, church. Does the thought of even mentioning Christ to someone else make you feel a little bit sick? You know, Paul himself, as we've talked about, was often fearful. He faced persecution. The fear of the Lord, however, it empowered him. It gave him this fresh confidence. You know, persuading others to share Christ isn't just a fruit of the fear of the Lord. It's actually also a means of growing in it as well. You know, if you struggle with the fear of man like me, you know, the temptation can be, I want to sort myself out first. You know, I'm going to sort myself out and wait until I've sorted out my fear of man, and then I'm going to get out there and share Jesus with others. But if you do that, you're missing out on a beautiful opportunity to grow. You know, in Philemon, verse 6, Philemon, or Paul says to Philemon, that I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is for us, that is in us for the sake of Christ. You know, Paul's saying to Philemon, there's, there's something about sharing our faith with others that leads us to experience more fully everything that we have in and through Christ. And so it is. And that's the fruit of Paul's fear of the Lord. He sought to persuade others to follow Christ. And I'd also put to us, that's one of the ways in which we can also grow in the fear of the Lord. But not just fruit number one, that he persuaded others to follow Christ. Fruit number two, he was able to live with complete openness and honesty as well. Read with me again that verse 11 uh, of our passage. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's also known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. You know, in Corinth at this time, there were all of these professional preachers. Um, They were showy. They were really, really good speakers. But Paul says, they're fake. Paul is saying he's all about honesty and integrity in his ministry. He's all about what's actually in the heart. And it's not only that God sees what we are, says Paul. He says, you can see as well. Because we're open and honest with you. you know, the message of the gospel means that we have nothing to be afraid of with other people. Because of the final verdict of the Lord Jesus upon our lives, we can be completely open and honest, even in the midst of horrendous sin. Because the verdict of Christ is that He has paid for it all. And yet one of the great hindrances we have to faithful proclamation of the gospel is that so often due to the fear of man, we hide away our true thoughts and feelings. You know, I remember when I was in uh, college and uh, it was, must have been about the end of my physiotherapy degree and I was out with a bunch of uh, my fellow you know, physiotherapists, who were, well, new grads, and we were out drinking and you know, one of my friends, she had just had a bit too much to drink where you get like, really honest and you start saying things you probably shouldn't. 
and I remember her saying to, to me, Brenda, it's like you're too good for us. It's like you think you're so good. And I was really convicted by what she had to say because I realized that all she had seen of my life was my attempts to be a good person. I was never open and honest with the forgiveness about the forgiveness I'd received from Jesus. I was never open and honest about the things I was wrestling with or struggling with. You see, the truth is when we hide our failings away, when we're ashamed and worried about how others will think, we also mislead them into thinking that Christians are people trying to earn their way into heaven. More, we hide and conceal our relationship with God, and when we never share what we're reading, what we're praying, what we're thinking, what we're wrestling, we just appear like anyone else. See, the fruit of the fear of the Lord is openness and honesty. You know God's verdict through Christ, and so you freely share with others. But it's also a means of grace to grow as we start letting people into our world. You know, if you're sitting here and you feel convicted that the fear of man is prevalent in your life, this is a great place to start. Just let people in. Confess it. It's a sin, guys. Repent of it and believe in Jesus. It's not part of who you are. It's part of your old self. The only reason we still sin is not because it has power over our lives. It's just because we love it. And so we need to pray and ask God to reveal more of himself to us, more of his majesty, more of his glory, more of his worth. And we need to use the gifts of grace he's given us, like our life groups, where we can share and receive discipleship, where we can, you know, journey with someone. Ask them to read with you a great book like Ed Welch's When People Are Big and God Is Small. It's a wonderful book to help you grow in the fear of man. Oh, fear of man. <laughs> fear of the Lord. <laughs> that would be counterproductive, wouldn't it? <laughs> It's a wonderful way to grow in the fear of the Lord. Um, ask someone to hold you accountable. Start sharing Jesus with other people. But not just, not just those three fruits that were those two fruits that we've been talking about. There's actually a third fruit as well. A, a third fruit that I think is possibly even the key fruit. You know, it's not just that a fruit of the fear of the Lord was that Paul persuaded others. It's not just that a fruit of the fear of the Lord was that he lived this open life, but thirdly, he lived a life centered on Jesus. Read with me verse 13 of our passage. Paul says, For if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died and was raised. Paul is saying everything we do is for the sake of God and you guys. You know, we've been completely captivated by Jesus. He controls our everything. We're no longer living for ourselves. We live for Christ. You know, if the essence of the fear of man is self-obsession, then the essence of the fear of the Lord is Christ-obsession. You know, it's so easy to let other things become our obsession in this life. Career progression, a relationship, what others think about us. And yet Paul is saying the essence of following Jesus, the essence of the fear of the Lord is to make Christ your everything. But here's the thing. This is not just something we can will ourselves to do, but it's a miracle of His grace 
that if you're a Christian and trusting in Jesus, he's already begun in your life. You know, the beautiful news of the gospel is that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The Holy Spirit has come like a floodlight and lit up the cross and the Lord Jesus and revealed His glory to us to lead us to believe in Him. And so, He has made you into a new spiritual creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And as we continue to stare at the Lord Jesus, He's transforming us to be more and more like Him. And it's awesome to think that one day, Christ's obsession will be our story as the Lord completes the work that He has already begun in you. You know, one day when we stand before His judgment seat, church, we will fear for nothing because Christ will be our all. And in closing, church, there's possible no greater hindrance to sharing the gospel with others than the fear of man. You know, for all of us at different times, the thought of sharing Jesus with others makes us feel nervous, makes us feel afraid, makes us feel slightly sick. And those feelings are the fruit of the fear of man. But, point number one, the fear of man comes from placing our trust in people, not in God. But most of all, it comes from an obsession with ourselves rather than with God. And yet Paul built his life on the fear of the Lord by keeping his gaze fixed on the resurrection and the coming judgment of Christ. And this fear of the Lord led him to display the fruits of persuading others to follow Christ, walking with openness and honesty and a life centered on Jesus. Friends, let's embrace the fear of the Lord and be faithful together on mission. Would you pray with me? Lord God, this morning as we come to what is a really difficult topic for most of us, the fear of the Lord and sharing Jesus with others, we just want to confess, Lord, we... We have many failings in this. You know, for a people that have much, materially speaking, it's so easy to make the things of this world into God things and to put our trust in them and not in you. God, as your people, we, we, we want to repent of this, Lord. We're sorry for this. We, we want to fear you more and more and more. And so, Lord God, we pray this morning, would you become more in our lives and in our hearts? Lord God, would you help us each and every day as we wake up and mind the kids or go to work or meet with family or friends? our gaze ever increasingly fixed on not what they think, but what you think. Yes. Well, give us that heart that just moves towards other people in love, regardless of what it costs. Because that is the heart you display for us on that cross. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.